When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart, as he usually is. Round drives, way up on the glass. That's not the first time we've seen a Welcome in to another episode of First of the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Spoonie and Jake are here with us also, but joining us for part two of our Get to Know the Celtics media series, it's Abby Chin. Welcome, Abby. How are you going? I'm doing well. It was sad to see that Marcus Smart highlight. Diving on the floor, the Cobra. <laughs> yeah, no man. more a Celtic. Do you think that Smart's been here long enough that like, he's kind of grandfathered into that and we can leave that content as it is? Or would you go about updating that content now that he's moved on? No, I mean, you had the KG clip in there. You had Rondo. Marcus, I believe, will go down as a Celtics legend eventually. So, I mean, I know in the pantheon of Celtics icons, I don't... He's not up there in the rafters, obviously. But, I mean, Marcus and what he (laughs) gave to this team in the nine seasons he was here, never missing a playoffs, the Eastern Conference Finals, a finals appearance. I mean, you can't discount what Marcus brought to Boston. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, let's just get right into it. Actually, first, how are you, Abby? I mean, we haven't really seen you um, since the Celtics season ended. Uh, What have you been doing to keep uh, busy during the offseason? I'm doing well. I um, am just living that mom life, hanging with the kids, (laughs) unfortunately. And part of that today, I didn't get to go to the Kristaps Porzingis press conference because my son had a doctor's appointment. And that's what happens in real life. So (laughs) I have just been... uh, (laughs) Watching everything go down from seemingly afar and and just trying to scrape my chin off the floor and wrap my mind around everything that's going on. <laughs> I know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's get into it then. Just starting with your reaction to the Marcus Smart uh, trade. Obviously, devastating for fans all around. But from what I've heard from listening to, to media folks, pretty devastating from a media standpoint as well, given that he seemingly was one of the better interviews across the team. Uh, yes, my initial reaction was purely selfish and that he is the best interview on the team. And he never said no. He was so professional and so respectful of everyone's time. And um, I said this to someone recently. He's the only player I've ever covered who um, one Christmas he gave everyone Christmas cards with a $50 gift card in it. And I mean, everyone from the media to the staff at TD garden to security. Um, it was just a really thoughtful thing that he did. And, um, that is not to say, and even mention all of the work that he did in the community and off the court. So I am, I'm going to miss Marcus smart. And that's one of the tough things about, these off-season trades is that you don't even get to say goodbye. He's just gone. I mean, I guess it, it happens in the season two if it's at the deadline and, you know, you don't see them the game before. But um, it's just there's no, you know, there's no closure <laughs> until the next season yeah. and you see them again. And I just cannot imagine him in a Grizzlies uniform. I know all the photoshops and stuff, but I just I'm not <laughs> not here for it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> in that vein, is this, uh, you know, in your time, I think you've been with NBC Sports Boston since 2013. So you've seen a lot, a lot of players come and go, especially in the Danny Ainge era. Is this kind of the most difficult uh, departure you've seen or at least the player you've had like the strongest connection with or the most time with since your time with NBC Sports? Yeah, definitely. Um, but you're right in that a lot has changed. I was thinking about it the other day, especially when you see that photo of, I mean, almost exactly 10 years ago when the Celtics had that press conference with Chris Humphreys, uh, Keith Bogans, <laughs> and then uh, who was the other guy that's in that photo? Anyways, in, in the trade from the Nets. And then my yeah. first year was Brad Stevens' first year. And that first... Um, Training camp was at Salve Regina in Rhode Island. And I just remember Gerald Wallace, like 
literally yeah. sleeping on a towel on the floor. <laughs> and I was like, where am I? What's going on? We're talking about Bradley being the point guard. And because uh, Rajan Rondo is still coming off of the knee surgery. And it was just, um, it was it was a different time. That was a very different season. 25 wins to go from that to then, you know, the NBA finals last year and all of the Eastern Conference playoff runs in between. Um, yes, a lot has changed. But largely, Marcus Smart was that constant. And now that is gone. Yep. And Jalen Brown is the longest tenured Celtic on this team, I believe. Um mm-hmm. Which is crazy Correct. to think about. Yeah, and, and, and Al Al obviously has been here through so much, but he left, so it doesn't count. It's not continuous. Yeah, I know. It's all of a sudden like hearing Jordan Walsh do his interview and be like, "I'm so excited to talk to Jalen and Jason and learn from these guys." And I don't know about you guys, but I still think of them as maybe it's because I, I don't have kids. So, um, but you know, I'm so Jalen and Jason to me are, are the closest thing I probably have. Um, from a, <laughs> to me, to me, they're still 19. I say Jason um, is definitely still 19, so I can see yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I, I might be turning 30 tomorrow, but I'm not quite old enough to have uh, a 19 year old son. It would be definitely pushing it. But um, <laughs> big. <laughs> How did we get here? Big shoes to feel, <laughs> obviously, and we, we we definitely missed you at the Porzingis press conference because I think these press conferences are often quite dry and boring. And I feel like Abby, you do a great job of bringing some some light and some color, um, getting at least like some kind of different response from some of these guys. But what did you did you did you see the Porzingis? Um, I've seen press conference. I didn't get today? to watch the whole thing. Yeah, um, and, and yeah. he said all the right things. I think. Two things. Number one is what this trade and this move signifies to me is that this team truly is, it truly belongs to Jason and Jalen. And it is up to them, whether that is taking over a bigger role as a leader and stepping up inside the locker room, but then also on the floor, the ball is going to be in their hands even more. They're going to have to run this team and, and be the ones to take them over the hump, finally, if they can get to banner number 18. So that is what this trade effectively does for the Celtics. Um, and then Chris Stops today, I think that those were some pretty big smiles on the faces of Brad Stevens and Joe. Oh, Lee my Lee. gosh. Brad looks Brad so beating, much happier right? than after the draft, like doing the interview with Mark and Chris Forsberg. It looked like he, he was about to die. I was like, he looks so much well, more well rested and happy. How much better now. than after the trade deadline or after, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. after the draft? After yeah. the draft, yeah. He he looked a little peaked then. I think he was obviously tired. He said he hadn't slept for days. Um, it was funny too in that interview. He was like, usually, you know, when I was the head coach, once the second round hit, I was out. I like came and talked to you <laughs> yeah. guys, and then I went home. Whatever happened, happened. <laughs> but not not anymore. Um, but Chris Stapps, I really the clips that I saw said all the right things was genuine about it. Um, I really am curious to see how this fit looks on the floor, but we won't get to see that for a couple of months here. Um, but I, I think that he is a very different player than the one we saw with the Knicks, not only on the, on the court, but also in a maturity level. And I think that that trade from Dallas, from everything that I've heard, really hit him hard and humbled him a lot and really forced him to focus on his game and developing that side of himself. And so hopefully, I mean, clearly those results were the best season he's ever had in the NBA. And as he said today, he is coming into his prime, his body, his mentality, everything is there. And so to think about that, it's on the right timeline with the Jays. To me, that is exciting. Yeah, he seems pretty stoked coming to the Celtics as well. Yeah. I heard his interview with Forsberg on the Celtics Talk podcast earlier today, and he didn't hold back in saying like he's genuinely um, up for signing an extension with the Celtics and can see himself with Boston long term. So we're talking about that fit and talking about Zinger potentially hanging around long term. Looking forward to, to this upcoming season, Abby, what are you most excited about uh, coming into this season? Is, is it that we might have a legitimate big three for the first time since Pierce Garnett uh, and Ray Allen? Is it Tatum going into year seven and maybe starting to hit his stride from a maturity standpoint? We've got Derek White finally anointed as the, the starting point guard or is there something else that comes to mind? 
I hear footsteps. So before I start your answer, you can chat right there. <laughs> no worries. Well, Spooty, why don't you answer that question? Yeah, sure. I, I think for me, it's year seven Tatum, dude. Like he's taken a step every season and like Jason Tatum coming into his prime is probably the biggest thing that will get Celt- the Celtics over the hump for Banner 18. And like, how can you not be excited? Like, he finally turns into a, an elite rim. He finished at the rims like at Giannis levels last year, right? And then that's with like a saber or like a, a log attached to his left hand, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So you got to think like if the rim finishing stays and man, if he just starts shooting threes at like 38, 39% again, like what is this team? We're going to win the title. Yeah. So I went back and watched a bunch of the Dallas playoff games against the Clippers um, or a bunch of, bunch of the, I want to say games, the Porzingis made field goals. And I'm going to put a video up um, on Twitter about it at some point in the next couple of days here. But you go back and watch all the buckets from KP against the Clippers in the playoffs. Like I know a lot of people are emotional about the Marcus Smart thing not only just because obviously what he means to the franchise spiritually, but the on-court fit, I can totally understand having some concerns about the overall passing, the playmaking of the, of the team. But you go back and watch KP and what he's able to do in the playoffs against um, like Zubats and, and Kawhi and Paul George, you know, bombing from 30 feet, driving closeouts, fake handoffs, getting to the rim, mid-range, in the middle of the zone. Like if you can't see the vision, you either just are – just, I, I understand it's an emotional time, but you, you got to go back and watch it. Like this guy is a elite offensive weapon. Like he was literally an all-star before he did his ACL. So like for him to, I loved hearing that from you, Abby, about how that trade from Dallas really like helped change his perspective on how he approaches the game going forward. And you kind of, you could definitely hear that in his, his pref- press conference today saying, I'm coming into my prime, um, my my skill is net at an all time high, but the way I mentally see the games at an all time high, and to get, bring that to Boston, I missed the pressure of New York. Um, he saved himself a little bit by saying, "Oh, that Dallas and Washington didn't have uh, <laughs> pressure." But yes, completely different world when you are the betting favorites to win the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. But you, if you, 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 I can see the vision with this this elite, elite, elite offensive talent on a team where if you're going to pick one reason why the Celtics did not win the title. It's because of the offense breaking down in game four of the NBA finals and the offense in crunch time, especially against the Heat. And yeah, right. So it's just he, I think, could take this offense to a completely new level while also still doing a lot of the defensive stuff that Rob and Al bring to the floor. I'm curious, what do you guys think about the fact that the Celtics not looking to run it back? Brad eagerly going out to make this move that it reportedly didn't work with Malcolm Brogdon. Fine. We will pivot. And I, I am going to get this done. We are bringing Chris stops in. I know that we have made the Eastern conference finals four out of the last six years, but that's not good enough. Something needs to change here. Yeah. Uh, real quick. Kristaps, you did not have to include Washington in that. I know. I've been to a game in DC, buddy. It ain't the same as Boston or New York. I Great can tell you that much, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I would say I was extremely excited when Brog, it was the Brogdon deal. Um, and then when I went to bed expecting Malcolm Brogdon to be traded for Porzingis and woke up to Marcus Smart being traded, I was like legitimately shocked. Um, but part of me thinks like you've not been able to get over the hump for six years, seven years, really, because Tatum, um, six years, I guess, because this was Tatum's six year. Uh, something maybe just had like fundamentally has to change with this team. I I don't know. Like I'm not sure it's the right call, but I appreciate he's willing to take a risk, I guess. Yeah. And I don't even know if it was necessarily a a reluctance to run it back, but more so just a a really solid trade opportunity presented itself. And objectively, as emotionally attached as we all are to Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart for Chris Tapps, Porzingis and two first round picks, even though he traded one of them back a thousand times during the draft the other night. Um, <laughs> objectively a good trade, which is like, that's my mantra at the moment as I try and let go of the Marcus Smart experience <laughs> and try and move on. Just knowing and speaking to neutral fans of the NBA and people who aren't Celtics fans who all agree and echo the sentiment that it is objectively a good trade. Um, that's how I'm, that's what I'm hanging my hat on at the moment. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, Abby, I don't necessarily think it was a, a reluctance to, to run it back. Uh, what do you think? 
I think that it was interesting to me. The Celtics are, it's not that they were listening to outside noise or heard or feeling any sort of pressure from the outside that this window is closing or what have you, because I, I really believe when they say that no one's putting more pressure on themselves than them and the people inside the building to get to banner number 18. And so I just feel like I, not that something had to change, but we talk about it all the time. Purgatory in the NBA is the worst place to be. And, and after the season ended in my mind, I said, even though it feels like we keep coming here, at least it's the Eastern conference finals. It's not, sorry, the Washington wizards, you know, that, that aren't even <laughs> making, the, that are battling to get into the play in tournament. Right. And so there's, there's different levels to the purgatory, um, but to me, there's still no question that they continued to ram their head against a wall. And so something needed to change. I, I am so sad that it is Marcus Smart, <laughs> to be completely frank. Um, but I, I really am curious to see how different this team looks on the floor coming, coming in October. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that the Smart trade was coming anyway. I refuse to believe that that just appeared out of nowhere within the hour between the Clippers deal falling apart because they could have made that deal after the midnight deadline, but they needed to accelerate it because the Clippers deal fell through. And Joe, our co-host, who our our Kiwi correspondent had a question for you. Um, Like there was, I guess, maybe a thought that maybe Smart's presence, as amazing as it was, was maybe – too overbearing and that with him on the team, it was never going to truly be Jason's team and or Jalen's team. Do you think there's any credence to that potentially? I, I don't think it's due to any bad intentions. Yeah. And, and, and I think that it's the same thing that we saw with Kemba when he was here is that Kemba came in saying all the right things. I'm here to set up the Jays. That's what I'm here to do. But you still have Kemba Walker on the floor and you're going to use that asset. So yes, I believe that this move clears the way unconditionally they're unquestionably for the Jays to take control of this team, whether that had to do with Marcus Smart having too much control. I, I don't think that's the case, but I think that that's clearly what is happening here and has happened now. Something else happening in a neighboring city that is potentially impacting the Celtics is that the Sixers are looking like it's reportedly they're going to trade James Harden and not re-sign him, which is great for all of us who love the Celtics and hate the Sixers. Uh, potentially, there's also a lot that they could get back in a deal with the Clippers that might actually bolster their lineup around Joel Embiid. Uh, Jake, you've got all the details on this trade. Um, you've been yeah. the, the least busy of us, I guess, this morning and had time to dive <laughs> into the details. So what do you got for us? Yep. Yeah, so... My initial reaction was, okay, because the, the, the initial reporting is the Clippers are kind of like leading the charge as far as trading for Harden. So I'm like, oh, I know that there's been some rumors about Paul George. Is that um, what it is? But what I have found out is that the whoever trades for Harden cannot extend Harden. So it's not the same as the Porzingis trade where the Celtics now have the ability to extend him. I don't know exactly why that is, if they missed a, certain, a deadline or for whatever it's reason. Because he went there but, in a trade. So he yeah. lose the bird rights. Okay. Thank this is why we have the professionals on the podcast. And um <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I don't so know trade... the new CBA. I have not read this. <laughs> no. Oh my yeah, document yet. You it's haven't a done language. <laughs> it's in oh, my T V R pile. Um yeah, so whoever trades for Harden will not be able to extend him. And so it's a one year rental of a guy that's injury prone, etc. And so you look at the Pozingas deal, like a team that could actually extend Pozingas, the Wizards got back the 35th pick in the draft and Tyus Jones for Porzingis. Like there's obviously a massive value gap between those things. The other sign, the opt-in and trade I could find was Chris Paul when the Clippers traded him to the um, Rockets. And that was for Pat Beverly, Sam Decker, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, Darren Hilliard, DeAndre Liggins, Kyle Wiltia, and a 2018 first round pick. So like the returns for these opt-in and trades are really bad. And because you have absolutely no leverage. Mm. So there's two things. One, clearly this is going to weaken the sixes on some level because you know Harden, if he does come back to the sixes, 
I'm sure he's going to be very motivated to play um, some well, of his best basketball. Through a seven-game series, a motivated yeah. Harden through seven games in the postseason. I mean, not, not even that. And, and well, believe me, yeah. I was in the building for games one and um, three or four, whichever one it was. Um, yeah. And and he was incredible, but it's he could not sustain it. Yeah, I would, and I would, yeah, I would imagine that motivation. T- uh, the, Harden doesn't have the best track record now, right? This is three trade requests in three years. Um, so we got two things: Harden leaving, and now does this start to push Embiid closer and closer towards a trade request? I guess Abby, the East kind of feels like it's falling apart around the Celtics in a way. Like there's rumors of Brook Lopez leaving the Bucks. Even if he stays, that team's quite like aging. And it's always been like the Celtics have been contending, but Tatum's still entering his prime. Jalen's about to enter his prime. We've added another, you know, fringe all-star in the smack bang of his prime. Like other Celtics kind of as down as everybody was after the, the Heat series, the Celtics kind of feel primed to be the preeminent team in the East as, the, as per usual. I mean, they're still the odds on favorite to win the championship on some sites, even over Denver. Um, but you said it there, Jake, in the heat. And God knows it's going to – are they going to get Damian Lillard? I mean – That's, oh that's the bullet we're trying to dodge. They need him. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you don't know. This is a crazy time. Free agency coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern here in America uh, yep. tomorrow night. And the Celtics, you know, not giving off vibes that they're done here. So, I agree with you in that the East is still wide open. And to me, the Celtics – still have the most talented team in the East as of now. <laughs> this is one of the things that I love about the NBA though, is that you just, you never know. I mean, superstars. And that is something that I think the new CBA is, is trying to limit a little bit more is that player empowerment and superstars demanding movement. But um, it's just, it's crazy. You know, it's, it's like the weather in the Northeast. You just got to wait a few minutes and then it'll change. So it's pretty crazy. Are we sure Harden leaving the Sixers is a good thing? I I mean, yeah, that was my point too. Yeah. You were in the building for that game seven. Like what was the look on Embiid and Harden's faces in that third quarter when Tatum just hit like three straight step back? Like, could you tell, Oh, these guys are quitting because it seemed like that on TV. The game six in Philadelphia, when Jason was terrible (laughs) for the better part of you know, three and a half quarters. But then you're right. That one step back that he hit after that, you could see it on his face. Like he knew he's like, Oh yeah, I am that guy. I can do this. And then I talked to, I remember talking to Rob Williams post game um, and our walk off in the back hallway. And he just had that look on his face. And I asked him like, did you guys know, did you feel that? And he, he didn't want to give any billboard material, but in his own Rob way, he's like, we got this, you know? And so it, it definitely was, you could feel a difference after yeah. that. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens with the sixes. Obviously we're, we're praying for their demise as Celtics fans. So we're watching and, that and situation closely. I mean, we could be the Sixers who can't even get out of the second round. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. Well put. <laughs> uh, and uh, Jake and Spoonie are doing a live stream uh, for the um, free agency negotiation opening up deadline. I'm sure there's a more succinct way of putting that uh, <laughs> around 6 p.m. East tomorrow. So keep an eye on our YouTube channel for that. Now, uh, we're going to move on to the meat of this podcast, the uh, the get to know the Celtics media segment. We ran episode one with Bobby Manning of CLNS a week or two ago. That was really well received. So obviously, we're very thankful uh, to have Abby here for for part two. Now, um, Abby, we had you on the show back in 2020, I think just as the bubble was starting right around mm-hmm. then. And it was right around uh, when you were just reinstated in your role at NBC Sports Boston after briefly losing it due to the pandemic. And we covered a lot of your early career then. So we don't want to necessarily go back and repeat those same questions. But just to rehash for any new listeners, and Abby, please stop me if any of this is incorrect. So... You started off interning at KCNC Channel 4 and In 760 Denver. Zone. Yes, and mm-hmm. 760 Zone Radio, the Fort Collins Coloradian and 850 KOA. And then mm-hmm. made your Radio. UPN. Yeah. Yes. Then made your UPN 20 Denver debut as a sideline reporter. All of that correct so far? Yes. I, I, I question I, I question the credibility of the website that I got this information from. So um <laughs> I don't know if I did sidelines in Denver. Maybe. 
for I mean, I'm sure it was for like a high school product high school production. What I okay. did we get into it? So um yes, I went to school at the University of Colorado. Um the internship with the radio, that was uh awesome because radio it was in Denver and it was the time of the Shaq and Kobe Lakers and uh awesome. the Nuggets. I don't if they had mellow yet, they weren't great. I just, for some reason they sent interns and I was in a locker room holding a microphone for Shaq. And I just remember him <laughs> sitting in a locker and he is just so massive and he was still taller than me, even though he was sitting down. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is, um, this is incredible. I can't believe I'm doing this. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, the reason I hesitated about the silence, I, I'm not sure I did that in college, but I, I did, um, after I graduated with my undergraduate, I did postgraduate studies for writing for a newspaper. And that was when I figured out that I didn't want to do sports at all. So, or, I mean, I didn't want to do news at all. I wanted okay, to do right. sports. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so really, really sticking it out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then like, what was the tipping point? I, I, I suppose maybe you just touched on it a little bit, but what sort of funneled you into the sports specific region of journalism? Well, I grew up loving sports and um, playing sports and watching. Um, and I didn't know that you could just do sports until I took a sports broadcasting class in college. But um, like I said, so during my postgraduate degree, it was for newspaper writing journalism. And I was an intern at the Denver Post. And I was working because interns work on the holidays. I was working on Thanksgiving. And there was a big crash up in the mountains in Summit County. And I... Um, this is paraphrasing. I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember the story, but there was a family of four and two of the family members died. And they sent me to the hospital to speak to, um, family members or people who knew them. And, uh, I just, and we knew their names cause they're on the police blotter. And I went to the front desk and I said, I'm here to see Joe Smith. And they're like, Oh yeah, they're on third floor room, whatever. And I, and which they shouldn't have given me that information. I didn't tell them who I was. I just, because I knew their names, that's where they sent me. And right. I just couldn't bring myself to go in the room. And so I knew at that point I didn't have the, it's a Brad Stevens word, but the gumption, like if at that point in my career, nice. I should be like, Hey, I'm with the Denver post. Can you give me some information? And I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It was too tragic. And, um, so that was the day that I really realized that that probably wasn't the right path for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can I, do just sports? Yes, I would love to do that. <laughs> I think few would have the gumption to, to walk into that room. Yeah. So um, you're definitely not alone there. Um, so you, you joined uh, CSNNE in 2013, initially covering Northwest's Pac-12 football games, then the Portland Trailblazers. Oh, that was and then CSN the CSNNW. CSN oh, okay. West, yes. Versus Northeast, okay. where I am now. Ah, uh, got it. Okay, all right. This update, this website needs to update their uh, their Come facts. Come on, Ben. <laughs> uh, and then, um, then you joined the Boston Celtics in 2013 ish, um, and we've been, um, you know, obviously loving your presence on the sideline and in the studio um, since then as longtime Celtics fans. You mentioned that you went to the University of Colorado. How has that given you an advantage in the press room with Derek White compared to your peers? <laughs> well, I will preface it by saying Derek White is the nicest NBA player that I have ever met. And so I, you don't know, no one really needs an in with Derek White. I will say yeah, that because right. I hear more okay. footsteps. Um, so I apologize. My children are having trouble putting right, themselves to sleep. If um, you need to mute and go at any point, like feel free. It's, we, we all have kids. So understand. Uh, but no, I do try and point out the Buffalo connection constantly. Um, we were in Oklahoma city this year and I was like, Derek, you see those Buffalo? It was like a painting. <laughs> and then uh, when Deion Sanders got hired, uh, we talked about that and, and if he's going to start doing some recruiting and things. Um, but he arrived in Boulder after my time. So we were not there. We didn't overlap. And um, we do talk about Colorado. But like I said, he's the nicest person. And so he will talk to you, talk to anyone and be kind and professional and respectful about it. Yeah, great. I mean, we had his dad on the podcast. That's our claim He's amazing. To fame. Don't you love yeah, him? Yeah, he's such a nice guy. So Twitter follow. Yeah. He's great. Um, okay, yeah, so I'm going to excuse myself. I'll be right back. But you can keep giving yeah, my bio nice. if that helps. I yeah, <laughs> great. Okay. We might have to revisit that website, um, which also said that Abby's 5'5". Five five, so um, just that standing next to Shaq. I don't know if you could reach up to Shaq's face with a microphone at 5'5". Five five. Um, anyway, suffice to say the website. I don't think the information is um, 
particularly credible. Um, I don't know. Should do you guys want- think Dion's going to bring in a lot of recruits or what? <laughs> <laughs> I was, was going to say, we, do, you, do you want to talk about Philly at all anymore until Abby gets back? Like, uh, what, do you, what do you reckon? Yeah. Well, I, like, sorry, you go ahead, Spinny. I've said it. I was going to say, if he goes to the Clippers, like what <laughs> game change? Like how would they get better in a trade with the Clippers if Harden goes there? The trade that Bobby Marks route is like Marcus Morris, Norman Powell, and Batum. Mm-hmm. They don't get better. Yeah. No, definitely. No, they, not. they don't get better. I feel like they kind of do. Like there's just now more. they have literally z- <laughs> now they have zero point guards. Oh, we're back. We'll we're save back. that. We'll save that. <laughs> we'll, we'll Hopefully. Uh, supposed to go back in there at 9 30. We'll see what happens. Okay, no worries. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely wrap up by then. Um so Abby, like you, you've covered a few different teams. Um how does this play into your fandom of the Celtics? If you still like, have you developed any fandom towards the Celtics? Um, like, did you also lose your mind when Derek White um, put that ball back into force game seven? Yes. Oh my gosh. I have such an <laughs> incredible story about that. Um, I'll tell that first and then we can talk about fandom. Um, so awesome. we're in Miami. Uh, after the first round of the playoffs, because we don't have the games, I still get a post-game interview, but it has to be off the floor, which is why I talked to Rob Williams in the back hallway and Miami as well. So where we are in Miami, we're underneath the bowl. There's um, a big hallway to go to the locker room off of the court, and we're, we stand at the other end. So um, I was watching the end of the game with the like golden oldies dancers of the heat, which was emotional enough in itself because it's like, are these people going to die? <laughs> like the, <laughs> the end of the game got so intense and, uh, and everyone is just living and dying with every single shot. Um, and then for some reason, I think we had the scoreboard monitor up and that's the feed that they were getting. And so all it did was show the basket and the hoop and the rim. And I saw the ball go in, but there was no, sh- I couldn't see the shot clock. I couldn't see who did it or what happened? All I heard was outside everyone cheering and then nothing. And then out of nowhere, my photographer, his name is Barry Alley. He is a veteran, has been covering this team for decades, just comes streaking behind me with this huge camera on his shoulder. He's like, we won! We won! We won! And I was like, what? What happened? I had no idea. And then my mind completely shifted into car crash mode for like, okay, who are we talking to? What are my questions? What exactly did happen? How is this? What are we doing? And Barry is just like shooting down the hallway and you can see the um, shot that he had of people celebrating as they're going in. It's not in focus because he is just like, "Ah!" and you can hear him screaming. "Ah!" He lost his voice for a week afterwards. He was so excited. And I was, I have never seen that side of him before. And I was like, oh my God, it was incredible. So um, I'm very, like I said, a true professional, like, you talk about fandom. He he never lets that really come out. He shoots RF for all of the games, which means he's shooting all the people in the stands. And then it goes back to our truck via um, a signal. And mm-hmm. it's, I just had never seen that side of him before. And I've been working with him for <laughs> 10 years now. And I was like, Ooh, wow. <laughs> this is so, um, it's awesome. But there's no question. You become a fan of the team you become a fan of the players of the coaching staff the people you become a fan of the people i would say more so and then for the team specifically my job is so much easier when they're winning and so much better everyone's so much happier and and wants to talk to you and is willing to talk to you and you can joke around i talked to forsberg about this um in our post-game podcast throughout the playoffs, this playoff run felt so different from the one a season ago. The one from the season ago felt kind of serendipitous. You know, it wasn't, they had turned the season around. And so everything just felt like icing on the cake and making it to the finals was the cherry on top. This playoff run was a slog. And it was just like, they were like, it was supposed to be the Eastern conference finals at the very least. And so the fact that they struggled against the Sixers, it was so disappointing. And then it just felt like, the roller coaster was more down than up. Whereas in the previous, the roller coaster was a thrill ride and it was so fun. This was just like, ah, stress the entire time. So, um, I, there's no question. I am a fan and I, and just from being here and being here so long and then just working with Tommy, I'm a fan and, and Max Cedric Maxwell. I'm a fan of those teams as well. And, and those people who I have had the wonderful opportunity to meet and work with. And those legends are truly legends on and off the floor. And so um, there's no question. I, 
bleed green now. And, um, and I know that that does yes. come through sometimes, but I, I do also, you know, I'm not an unbiased journalist. I think that it has <laughs> sailed. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> It's a fun job, though. You know? so, yeah, how could it not be? Yeah. I would. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a huge fan already, but like, I would be totally sucked in. Like, if I got, I was like doing reporting for any team other than the Lakers, I would definitely <laughs> adopt that team. How could you not? Yeah, it's the best. It's one of the best jobs in the yeah. world, and to travel and be in the arenas and, um, yeah, it's just it's incredible. So yes, it's hard not to be. I think it would be harder to not be a fan than to yeah. be a fan. Well, so this, you are now up to your, f- how many coaches have you interviewed now? Oh, it's yeah. Definitely Doc, Ime, uh, Brad, Ime, Joe. Is that, is that four? No, or, just Brad, Ime, and now Joe. Okay. okay. Oh, I, I forget yeah. how long yeah. Brad was there for. So <laughs> obviously Joe presented a different interviewing experience, maybe we'll call it. I think he, he did his um, Joe Mazzullo imp- version of the Bill Belichick, it felt like, throughout the year. How do you go about approaching interviewing someone like Joe? I guess, yeah. It is an evolution. And so at first it was kind of like, oh, okay, this is, this is what we're doing. <laughs> um, I, I just want to say Joe is a different person off camera. He's funny. Mm-hmm. He jokes around. He also, like, that competitive spirit is, is not a joke to him. While he is funny and, and can be sarcastic and, and deadpan, um, like Scal will tell you, playing in that pickup game that they do at TD Garden with the staff before game, before home games, literally broke Scal. He was like, I am mentally <laughs> and physically broken and I never, ever want to do that again. And like, <laughs> so the competition in Joe, that that's so real. And so I think a lot of that, a lot of um, his media persona is comes stems from that. Um, but it is, it's something that obviously it's falls more on me to get the best out of him. And my questions changed over the course of the year. It needs to be more open-ended. It needs to, you know, um, not talk about anything but basketball. That was a hard one for me to learn. Because uh, I like to talk about Father's Day or uh, Father's Day doesn't happen. Halloween, he did not want to talk about Halloween like at all. The Royals? And so, <laughs> He's very religious right. man, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So The Royals was so good. You know, yeah. they, yeah. they oh, learn yeah. something different every time. You roll with it. And he was never, um, and I know it didn't come off great on camera, but in person and in, in real life, he was never, and it never, even in when we were together, it never felt disrespectful. It's just he was answering his questions the way that he be- he was answering my questions the way that he believed they should be answered. And he never said no. You know, he never didn't show up. He never um, refused to do an interview. And so um, I give him credit for that. And, and it's it's not. It's a lot like pre pandemic. We talked to head coaches three times a day and there were moments on the road so you talk to them at shoot around pregame and postgame. And there were moments with Brad Stevens where those were 10 minute sessions every time. That's a half hour of your day, every game day talking to the media. And that's, that's a lot. And so um, for a first year head coach, who's never had to deal with any of that. Um, I, it's, I don't blame him for not enjoying every moment of that. Yeah, I feel I truly believe Joe thinks he's being funny with like most of like the way he answers stuff. He's just so deadpan. But uh, how would you compare Brad, Ime and Joe as interviewees? Like who's the most forthcoming? Like, Ime was uh, the most forthcoming. Ime did not yeah. care. <laughs> Zero filter. Zero filter. And, and, and those were those early moments with Ime where he was calling guys out. I was in the room. I just remember being so uncomfortable. It was like, oh, my gosh. OK. And then a month later. <laughs> He was, I was like, does he, he knows, he knows what he's doing. Right. And then a month later, he's like, I don't care. I'm going to do this. And and I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's ride. <laughs> I was on board. Um, but so Joe is much more in the Brad Stevens uh, line of yeah. thinking and that he would never call out a player by name to us publicly while he may be holding them accountable and saying very different things inside the locker room. He would never say those things publicly. 
Um, the difference to me, uh, Brad had spent so much time in the college game and recruiting, and he can really, you know, um, turn it on and turn on that charm. And uh, whereas Joe just hasn't had to do that, and and I don't think cares to do that. And so, um, it's definitely a different experience every yeah. <laughs> and, um, a learning experience. There's a learning curve to it. Um, but I'm just so grateful that we get that opportunity. And those are exclusive conversations that um, not everybody gets. And, and it's, it's really, it's my job and it's incumbent on, upon me to get the most out of those. And so you can't blame Joe, can't blame Brad. I think anyone just being unapologetically themselves is yeah. really endearing. Like as long as they're not just inherently a terrible person, um, I think it's a really endearing quality. As I think Jake has some hardcore drilling going on uh, in the background. Uh, yeah, I'm... <laughs> is that a foghorn? Yes, this is. Okay, I'll, I'll ask this question, and then I'll, yeah, this is drilling. I'm at my parents' house. It's a whole, it's a whole thing, um, but. <laughs> We're all having family Abby, issues. Today. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Abby, there's going to be, unfortunately, sometime in the future, a Mike Gorman-sized hole in the um, broadcast team. Um, is that something you would potentially uh, put your hand up for? You've done, you do little bits of pieces of play-by-play in the middle of the sideline, like, and then there's an overlap, and you've got to be like, as Jason Tatum makes a pull-up three. Um, and you've got to like jump into that. Would that be ever something that you would consider doing? Because I think you could potentially be, be great at it. And I'll hang up and listen. Uh, we started talking <laughs> about Marcus Martin. Now you're going to bring up Mike Gorman? What are we doing? I know. I can't emotionally <laughs> take that. Um, yeah. And it, it's not next season. So we know that. Um, I would love to kind of be able to step into those, to that role sometimes. I, I honestly have don't have any reps. I've done one game. Um, and, and I don't know how I would get them at this moment. And I know that's one of those work harder, work smarter, not harder, but with the kids, any time that I am off the floor, it's really devoted to them. Um, especially with our travel schedule and things, but, uh, it's absolutely intriguing to me and I would love to help out when necessary, but I know that that is not something that is not a realistic goal of mine at this moment. Um, I did one game. It was with Eddie House before he really joined our team at NBC Sports Boston. It was um, post-pandemic when they were trying to figure out different feeds and and do different things. And um, it was such an interesting, crazy experience. I learned that, you know, broadcasting for over a decade, you really do gain a lot of skills. And so I feel like I was able to carry it, but I definitely... Um, filling the shoes of Mike Gorman is something that I, I wouldn't even imagine or fathom. An interesting experience, yeah. I think, describes being next to Eddie House at basically <laughs> any moment. <laughs> yes. And that was before he was covering the team every day. And, and you know, it was the game that um, it was two seasons ago uh, in the middle of December in uh, Minnesota and mid pandemic like just coming out of the pandemic really, but people like all the teams were still dealing with COVID. And so it was the junior varsity wolves. Team. I know the game yeah. you're talking Maybe about us, right? way too well. Ended up losing too. <laughs> yes. And so it was just, it was a crazy experience. Like not knowing who was on the floor, who was going to play that night. They didn't have any of their stars. And so Eddie and I are just basically vamping and <laughs> <laughs> trying to talk through, um, what ended up being a crazy and, and depressing game in the middle of a December in Minnesota. So uh, it was a, it ended up being a really fun experience and I'm so grateful that I got to do it. Um, but it also taught me how far I have to go in that world. Sure. <laughs> is there, is there another area of the industry that you sort of have your, your sights set on? Cause I think a lot of people would get to your position, Abby, and feel very satisfied with like that being the height of their career. I think it's a very, a great position to be in and a very respectable one. That said, is there like is there a step up from your perspective? Uh, is that even something that you're thinking about at this stage? What are your thoughts there? I do think your my perspective. I'll speak 
for myself personally has changed a lot since um, coming to Boston. And now that we have been here 10 years and um, we own a home, my kids are growing up here and going to school here. So it's, it's not something where I can just pick up. And obviously, yes, the dream job would be to work for a national broadcast, whether that's TNT or ESPN, but it's, it's, not realistic for me right now to even dream about moving to Atlanta to do that or moving Connecticut isn't that far away, but I, it's just, um, I am so lucky and grateful to be in this job and, and in this role and in this moment, it's, um, still fulfilling to me. And especially with everything and the growth that, um, I've had on the personal side. And so, I know everyone is uh, the five-year plan and all of that. And I just, <laughs> right now I am enjoying the moment. And, and that is um, really something, a luxury, I think, that I have. And I'm grateful for it. And, um, you know, if something else comes up and I, and I do, I, I need to find some more silos. And that's kind of my goal for the summer is to figure out where maybe some of my other interests lie. But um mm-hmm. I am, I'm just, I love my job and I love that this yeah. is something that I get to do. And, and what's interesting to me, and, and this is how we started this conversation is that it changes every year, you know, even if it's not, um, the calendar doesn't change, the team changes, the personalities, the, the personalities of the team changes next year, the Celtics have an entirely new staff on top of the Kristaps Porzingis trade and, and, try to navigate their way without Marcus Smart. So um, no two days is the same. I'm constantly learning, which is something that I love about this job and something that I talk to people about every day is, you know, um, you're learning about a different team, a different player, things, the game is different. And and so there's never a dull moment, especially in the NBA. And I'm just so thankful to be where I am and that I get to do this every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, watching from afar, like we turn on the Celtic, we turn on the TV rather, and it's it's the Boston Celtics. So for us, right. you are just a, as much a part of that product as Jalen or Jason or any of those. So if you were to to find another interest and move on, you would be you live a chasm among fans everywhere, I'm sure, and you'd be dearly missed. Before we let you go, we mentioned earlier that the free agency negotiation period is opening up uh, 6 p.m. tomorrow. We will be doing a live stream uh, on our YouTube channel for that. I'm kind of um, um, you know, um, throwing you under the bus here, Abby, but do you have any wild <laughs> predictions for what might occur uh, in these sort of imminent opening stages of free agency tomorrow? In relation to the Celtics? Yeah, sure. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, whatever. I, I, you know what? I want to gauge your guys' interest and price tag for Grant Williams. Celtics reportedly cool. extended the, <laughs> um, <laughs> the offer, so he is a restricted free agent. The qualifying offer, that's the word I'm looking for. So... Mm-hmm. How badly do you guys want Grant Williams back? And what are you willing to pay? Spoonie, don't you have a running bet with Forsberg on this? Yeah, we do. So I thought he was going to... This was when Grant was playing really, really good. So I said he'd come back for four for 60. Forsberg was at four for 56. I think those numbers with the new CBA... This is pre-new CBA. So I think they're going to be deflated quite a bit. But I think the new non-tax MLE is like 12 million. I would keep Grant around for twelve million dollars a year. I mean, you don't I, don't think know. So. I mean, that's kind of I think reportedly right. That's where they were when they were working on an extension before the yeah. previous deadline. I think he wants at least fifteen. I hate how the NBA has turned everybody into this, into like the whole conversation to this cap CBA conversation, and we all have to have these boring we can't we can't keep grant because of the cba it's it's so lame and it feels like that's going to be the reason we don't keep him because if it's 15 or under they should like grant williams on a three for 45 everybody in the chat see that math is getting better 15 times three (laughs) if we could keep grant on three for 45 like that's a not only do we want to keep grant like that's a real asset that's a real asset or a great contract that people would want to trade for versus you do a, a sign and trade you're going to end up getting back like two second round picks at best. Which apparently so, have a ton of value all of a sudden. Yeah. Yes. Everyone wants hoarding second round picks. Yes. If you go back to the trade deadline, like remember how, like all these all these picks that were getting done, it was like five second round picks for Crowder. Jay Eric, Crowder. Jay yeah. Crowder, Eric Gordon, yeah. and all these guys. And yeah. 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 So like they clearly have value now. So it's like cool. 
but I'd much rather have Grant Williams for three for forty five than um, whatever. I, I think unfortunately, I think I think my prediction is that they're going to have to like let him go because I don't think that they want to hit the second apron, which is so lame to even say. Open the checkbook. Come and, on. And that's what Brad said today is that he's been given the green light to spend as long as yeah. they do it smartly. Obviously, um, I I just I cannot wrap my mind around losing both Marcus and Grant from a media standpoint. Yeah, I mm-hmm. just can't. It's just too much. I have a question <laughs> on that. How was how was Javante Green as an interview when he was here? Amazing. I love Javante. Well, yes. I have a feeling that if we lose Grant, we'll be getting Javante Green back. That's my, that would be my prediction. Um, I'm not sure if you saw the bleacher. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Call it in, Brad. We want both. Um, I saw today because people are slowly. Are we bringing Max Drews back too? We're just going to battle that out again? (laughs) I I think the paces are going to be paying him big time, it looks like. Um, But so bleacher report, people are starting to distill the CBA stuff now. And um, there's going to be, it sounds like a Harry Giles the third. They're going to kind of like call it rule um, where right now, if you are to be on a two-way contract, you cannot have played more than three seasons in the NBA. Um, But Tatum apparently lobbied for them to change the rule that if you miss an entire season with injury, then that doesn't count towards your eligibility, which now allows Harry Giles. Yeah. yeah, So now Harry Giles is actually eligible for a two-way contract again this year. So my prediction is that Harry Giles takes one of our two-way contracts and that we lose Grant, but we bring back Javante Green. Um, and I'm glad to hear that he ha- has um, is a good media inter- uh, interview as well. But um, just a good yeah, person. Diff- good, yeah, great person, and another Tatum friend. So bring in two Tatum buddies. Um, so raises our chances of retiring <laughs> both the, now, the Tatum. Right? Start pulling yeah. a LeBron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah look. I'm kidding. That is not oh, the way I- that Jason operates, but- for the record. Before we get. Look, look. If we want to get if we want to get into trouble, look. You know, we have this Warriors pick. You know, Steph Curry gets an injury. All of a sudden, we have the 16th pick. Mm-hmm. We draft Bronny James. We get LeBron on the minimum. Oh it's, man! Um, look, I would not cheer for LeBron. <laughs> well, I don't I know. Can't look, do it. we're off the rails. Eight runs too deep. This is what happens in free agency. My brain, it's <laughs> yeah, slop season it's everywhere. <laughs> Charlie. Um, that's good. I'm yeah, exactly. After that, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I hope yes, that we take is... the, the John Tomasi route and just ignore the CBA. Charlie. everybody. Abby, do you think Grant comes back if you had to make a wild prediction? Oh, I just don't know. Um, I Because I feel like there is a team out there that could put out a qualifying offer that is just the Celtics don't want to match. I, I, I definitely yeah. think there is a cap that they are willing to spend there and would be willing to let him go if it gets above that. So Man. I do think some teams might start wilding out for Grant yeah. Williams, unfortunately. Well, I want, I want him back. I want him back. Yeah. I think that he is a really important team when you look at the injury history of that front court and the fact that Al Horford is now 37 years old. But those are the realities. Of the situation. That's young. That's young Ben and Spoonie. Don't, yeah. don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> he's a young, spry, handsome 37-year-old man. Please, he's an that. old man. He's like six months older than so. uh, It's all relative. Well, look, all, yeah. all will be revealed uh, in roughly 24 hours' time. Uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Abby, this was great. Uh, as always, it's always really fun chatting to you. I hope that you do get a nice long break uh, during the off-season uh, and escape from the daily Celtics news cycle that we just cannot escape uh, at this point. And we look forward to seeing you back on the sidelines very soon thanks again thank you so much for having me and i apologize again for the little ones no, oh, no worries no apologies necessary <laughs> parties for the drill that was going through my house apparently. <laughs> yeah yeah all right shouts to spoonie and jake love your work guys we'll be back next week until then go Celtics.